welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast here at the Mo Summit. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks, is the co-founder and managing partner of Big Path Capital. Please welcome Michael Welchel. Michael, thanks for being with us thanks, today. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, I appreciate it. So interested to learn a little bit about your impact journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the origin? Why'd you get an impact? You know, I think it goes back. I was going through business school in the early 90s. I was in Chicago. And, you know, all my classmates were headed to, you know, investment banking or management consulting. You know, you do an internship between, your, between the summer, uh, between your first and second year. And so, you know, all my classmates were headed to one of those two career paths. And I got connected with this bank called Shore Bank in Chicago. And think of it as it was one of the first uh, triple bottom line banks in the country. And um, I had never been up close and personal with a for-profit company like Shore Bank. But it was really, it was grounded out of this deep social justice mission. And I was just like, you know, is this legal? You know, you really, can you, can you mix, you know, is it allowed to mix these kind of things, two things, the, the purpose and the profit. And that summer it had me. I didn't know, I said, you know, I don't know where we're in or how, but I'm going to find myself in this ecosystem somehow. And, you know, couldn't find anything coming out of business school um, that merged some of those interests of mine and then decided I'm going to get some good experience and went into private equity and then, you know, 14 years in that career, I was like this, that, that notion of leveraging capitalism for, uh, you know, good never really, you know, left me. It's like, okay, if this isn't going to find me, I'm going to go find it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, got, got uh, co-founded Big Path. And so explain to me about that formation, you know, with your experience in private equity, uh, what was taking that, that leap like and, yep. and uh, who did you start with? Sure, sure. Yeah, so this was 2007. Um, and, you know, just how timing works, it was early 2007 when I decided to quit my job at the private equity firm and start co-found Big Path. And, um, you know, it was before the financial crisis had really set in. I think it had the, you know, had it been later in 2007, I probably, you know, it was, it was a, you know, it was a, it was still a kind of, you know, kind of a, an act of faith jump. But at that time when it was so dark in late 2007, 2008, it would have been kind of almost like foolish, mm. especially having kids. So I'm just so thankful that I was, it happened when it did because I didn't see what was coming. <laughs> I was able to kind of step out you know, into the river before the, I saw the tsunami coming down. Um, and so, yeah, the first couple of years were tough given the, you know, given the um, larger economy. We got a couple of deals done and enough to say, hey, this feels like what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, Interesting, and you know that that remark of "is this legal?" is so profound, mm-hmm. right? And and you know, do you find that you know targeting? I guess explain to your audience who your customers are sure. and how you work with them. Yeah, yeah, sure. So we are a boutique investment bank, hundred percent focused on working with impact companies and funds. So on the company side, we're helping you know the vital farms or traditional medicinals of the world help them either raise capital to bring in capital to help them grow faster. Um, or if they're ready to do some type of a liquidity sale of the event of their their ownership, helping them find mission aligned buyers. Um, so those are the two things we do on the company side. On the fund side, we work with private equity, venture capital, impact funds that are raising their capital. And so you might have a fund that's looking to raise five hundred million to go invest, and they hire us to go help them raise twenty percent of that. Mm. And, and what about the? impact entrepreneur is a little bit different about mm-hmm. your traditional entrepreneur, would you say? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, um, I think the, the impact entrepreneur, typically, their kind of center of gravity, center of mass 
is mission. You know, they're trying to accomplish some, you know, they want to try to see some change in the world and then using the business as a vehicle to create that change, to bring that change into being. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, you've got incredibly skilled business people as well, but then they're just driven out of this, you know, kind of deeper motive. Um, and, I, you know, it's kind of, I would say, it's like, if you think of the Mas, Maslow's hierarchy, you know, they're kind of coming out of something that's, that's almost kind of at the self-actualization, you know, and even, you know, I, it's, it's, you've got the self-actualization as, as what you're satisfied from a personal standpoint, but there also is this responsibility of the collective, of, you know, of the larger society, and there is this kind of additional responsibility that's just not about themselves, even if it's not, so it's not more than just being self-actualized yourself, but it's this idea of, you know, being accountable to the collective. Uh, just out of curiosity, um, you know, what is, is your due diligence process any different than uh, traditional due diligence? And uh, what, what kind of sides are you on? Yeah. So I would say that for us, when we're deciding whether to work with a client or not, you know, one is that's not traditional is what's the impact. I mean, you know, we, we choose who we want to work with and we want to work with companies and funds that are you know, bringing about the necessary change you know, to, that we see that's absolutely needed. Um, and in many of those cases, they have like an, an incredible business model behind that because, you know, they're, they're kind of investing or they're thinking about things along some of these macro trends. Um, so I would say one is like thinking about the impact um, they have. And for us, there's this layer of thinking about, hey, are they treating their employees, you know, um, in a fair manner? Um, that, that would not be a typical investment bank, would not really typically think about the different stakeholders and how that company's impacting those as whether they, they're going to take a deal or not. How do you like working with the entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you need a lot of information from them. Uh, what's your process like? What makes you unique in that process, I'd say? Um, I would say one is that we, we care. I mean, it sounds kind of a little bit corny, but... Um, you know, the, when we when we work with a company, you know we're, you know we're want them to be able to scale their impact, and you know so we're aligning with them around what you know typically is driving that entrepreneur. So we you know, you know a lot of the clients we have I end up being really good friends with them, um, and I think part of it is is this you know connection around the bigger, you know, trying to accomplish something bigger. And then we're, we're aligning them as, as a partner and they're, you know, looking to grow their impact. Uh, just out of curiosity, from a post-merger integration uh, standpoint, have you worked with any organizations that have been acquired maybe by a larger organization? And how has that cultural fit been? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the example um, would be, you know, Foley. Yeah, um, David Kale. Um, and so, yeah, so when we were working with him, the idea wasn't to sell the company, but he, they found a strategic that he really liked. They liked him. And um, I think when it was a company called Knoll, public office furniture company, um, and they, they were intrigued with Foley because of this mission-driven piece of the organization. They, they, you know, the other piece they liked, that it was direct-to-consumer, but one of the pieces they really liked was of the mission-driven and how it created a different culture, a culture that they were interested in like, hey, you know, come, 
be part of us and we'd like to learn you know, how to do something similar in this broader organization. So in that case, they actually had an influence on the, you know, the, the, uh, they actually had, you know, you could think of it as they infected the host right? mm-hmm. I mean, they, in, in a really positive way. And, and are you working on that integration aspect? Are you, are, yeah, no, we you, typically don't do that. Yeah, usually okay. we'll stay in touch with the client, but usually our, you know, kind of our, you know, formal engagement ends, you know, once the, once a, you know, a transaction has been completed. Got it. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and so now well, this brings us to the Mo Summit. Yep. Um, so tell us about this large gathering, mm-hmm. uh, what's going on here in Portland, Oregon. Sure. So, you know, this is our fifth annual conference. Um, we started the conference because we saw, you know, there was not an event, you know, that we were aware of in this ecosystem that really brought CEOs together of impact, you know, high growth companies of consequence together. And you'd have other events, but you would find maybe only 30% CEOs. So really wanted to say, hey, even if it has to be smaller, let's make sure it's 90% plus CEOs that, you know, they can come together and really, you know, be peers with one another and, and, and develop relationships that they can then be a resource to them, you know, as they go back for the, the, the rest of the year. So it really is a, is a, a network of resources that they can get tapped into. I mean, one of the largest impact CEO uh, gatherings uh, in the United mm-hmm. States. Uh, talk about the quality of conversations that are being had in such an intimate setting. Sure, yeah. And I think that's one of the differentiators you hear from the CEOs who attended is that there's this, you know, kind of openness, this sense of vulnerability. You don't have to have everything, you know, together. Um, to ha- but these are, you know, these are obviously companies and, and CEOs that are doing incredible, you know, incredible accomplishments. But there's this humility around um, what it takes to do this and, and being vulnerable that you don't have it all together and there's a lot to learn and that, you know, what got me here is not going to get me there. And so I think that, that type of ethos is really um, both inspiring for people to come and then also something they really feel like they are changed you know, by being here with these other entrepreneurs. And, and you know, whether it was Miyoko or Melanie talking about you know, their failures, their experiences, yep. um, for someone listening to this that says, you know, maybe that'd be something I'd like to attend, mm-hmm. what advice do you have for them? Who are you speaking to? Sure, yeah, it's really, it's you know, CEOs of companies that have some type of a, impact that's baked into their product or service, you know, that their high growth is typically not right, not the best spot for a startup. You know, so companies I'd say, you know, that have a few million in revenue up to a couple hundred million in revenue um, that are, you know, trying to figure out, hey, how do I create a better culture? You know, how do I have my company create more impact both internally and externally? I mean, I think those would be people that are kind of open to thinking about they have something to learn. It's a great place. Uh, so we got an event coming up uh, June yep. 2nd. You and Melanie DeBecco, the CEO of Toronto, are going to be speaking about how to find the right capital partner. Tell us a little bit about what to expect at that event. Sure, yeah, yeah. So we recently um, worked with Melanie and Toronto to help them bring in a new capital partner, a 100-year-old company, um, family-owned, never had an outside investor. So this was their first, after 100 years, their first outside investor. And that... Um, it was, a, it was a journey, you know, for her of really learning about how you do that. And it, it's really, it's, I think it's, it's typical of how she approaches a, a meaningful project within her company. They really they think of it as a learning journey and how are we going to do this? And so we're going to set out our key success factors. And as we go through this, we're going to look back and say, 
are we staying true to those you know, key success factors that we um, laid out? And one of those for them was mission alignment. And so, you know, this is what's interesting because in, even in impact companies where the CEO and the management team think so much about everything around, you know, what, you know, what, you know, where do we, you know, how are we going to treat our employees? What are our benefits? You know, what do we think about how, what the product and how we deliver um, impact? Typically, when capital gets in the room, mission gets, you know, kind of escorted out the door. And so with Melanie kind of putting that at the top, you know, really sets the stage to make sure that there, that at the end of the day, that that piece gets um, accomplished. And, and, and that's, in that case, it's a really good fit um, that it, it met you know, all of her kind of key, key requirements. So the, the webinar will be talking about kind of unpacking that story, that learning journey for her. And that's an interesting example and what many investors and entrepreneurs kind of riff on. Um, what makes a successful uh, investor, entrepreneur, investor, CEO match? You know, I think it's a number of things. One would be the um, mission alignment, you know, that whatever the impact and the mission where like with Tarani, it's, it's a people first, it's an opportunity company. You, know, you, you really don't get to the actual product you know, kind of qualities till you know three or four down, um, and so having someone who sees that the same way. And so, in a specific case, there the first first call that the the investor that you know became the investor um, in the transaction, first call they had with Melanie, the whole call they talked about culture. They didn't even talk about Melanie's the the Toronto's product. And so, you know, that just kind of gives you a sense of where they both started and, and you know, where that alignment was. So I th- I'd say that's, you know, first is alignment there. The you know, time horizon is a key one. If, if, the, if the company really wants longer-term capital and the investor is thinking more of a five-year, you know, needs to get out, you know, sometimes that's not, you got to be really upfront about that. Um, and then I think another one, just kind of a simple one, is, is, is their expectation of the CEO to, for the, to have an active investor or a passive investor mm. um, and making sure that that's a, that's a match. And explain the difference first. So the, an active investor would be someone that, you know, that's, that's in weekly contact with the company and, you know, wanting to be a resource, um, you know, wanting to be involved in decisions, you know, passive is someone that might, you know, be updated on a quarterly board meeting, mm. but, but that's not really kind of participating in some of the kind of operational details. Switching gears a little bit, this uh, conference's theme was around regeneration. Right. Tell us a little bit about why you chose this theme and how it was uh, uh, influencing the conference. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you know all of us. You know, for the past two years, you know, both uh, you know, have affected from COVID both personal lives in in our companies, and you know, wanted to. You know, the, a lot of people had some really tough times over these two years, and so you know, there's this, you know, region to, for regeneration to happen, you just call it the cycle of life of renewal. You know, you got to have death before there's birth. You got to have, you know, you got to have the fall before spring. And that's um, in, in similar ways, I think in personal growth, organizational growth, you know, you can call it mistakes, you can call it failure, you can call it learnings, challenges, but those are like the ingredients of, mm. of personal insight, of personal growth. And so we wanted to kind of create a storyline that you know, reframed a failure or a mistake or a challenge to be, that's the starting point. You know? And so like, like one of the keynotes, Clayton Christopher said, 
you know, in his life, he used to, you know, run away from obstacles. Um, but he learned to run to them because that's where, that's where the gold is. That's where the, the growth is. So this regeneration, reframing, you know, all the experiences that we've had over the past two years to a storyline that's, that these are, you know, these are things that should be, you know, thought of as welcomed and versus, you know, denied or, um, you know, deliberately, you know, trying to run away from. Well, whatever gets in the way becomes the way. Yeah, there right? you go. Perfect. Uh, what, are, what are some obstacles that you have had to overcome in your life? Gosh, um, I think for me, um, you know, just you know, starting out the company, you know, those first two years during the economic crisis of saying, gosh, was this really what I was supposed to do? You know, because I felt a calling to do it, but, you know, you're in there and you, you, know, you got four kids and, you know, you're not signing up those engagements as fast as it should uh, of a real kind of doubt about it. And then, you know, using that to, to go inward and being self-aware to be like, no, this is, I, I really, I do think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And that, you know, that gives you, that gives you kind of, I think, a, a deeper purpose and commitment to what you're, what you're um, about. Perseverance is a great trail of leadership. Let's bring this home, Michael. What is your definition of a real leader? And, you know, I think like just as much as we've talked about, you know, this this whole um, idea of, of regeneration, to me, um, you know, it, it brought away that you know that you approach these there are these kind of learnings, you know, along the way, and you can as a leader. I think it's part of is helping the team not see those as failures. And, and, you know, either you could talk about celebrating the failures like Amy um, at Pallet talked about, um, that really reframing for the team that they're, they're, these are all learnings and things that have to be built upon to achieve what the team's trying to achieve. And, and how do you create that culture where, that's that really is the case because it goes against so much of our traditional, you know, how society thinks of things. Well, Michael, appreciate you having us here at the most summit awesome. yep. for Michael Welchel. I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, reframe failure, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Michael. Awesome, man. Sure. Thanks.